It's really lovely to speak today. I am actually Anna, not Alan or Adam. Um, and I'm married to Simon. We do actually see each other every now and then, so you should know my name. Um, and uh, I'm on the leadership team here. Uh, it's a real privilege to be able to talk to you this morning. You know, I was uh, looking around the church this morning and I uh, just want to take my hats off to the parents in our church. When we're on sabbatical, we went around lots of different churches. Um, and, uh, you know, we are so blessed in this church to have all the generations. It's, it's really quite unusual, actually, and we are really, really blessed to have all the generations. But I just really want to honour the parents We've been there. It's such hard work. When your kids are little, you think, I'm never, ever going to get to the stage where I can actually be in worship and enjoy it. You think, I'm going to hate it. I'm, this is awful. This is like being tortured for part of worship. But actually, it does get better. I promise it does get better. Um, and actually, we really honor you as the church. Thank you for persevering with your children and teaching your children how to worship because your children learn from you how to worship Jesus. That's why we don't send our kids out at the beginning of the service is because actually our children are learning from their church family how we worship and how we honor Jesus as a corporate family together so thank you for persevering we know it's difficult and your kids are great we love all the kids in the church they're brilliant children are brilliant they always tell you what's going on if it's boring they'll let you know so that's always helpful isn't it um, as I said, we've just been on sabbatical, so I'm really excited to be able to talk to you this morning and to carry on our series on faith under fire um, on 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So um, shall we kick off with reading together this morning the passage we're going to be looking at? Um, I apologize in advance for my PowerPoint. I'm not even sure you'll be able to read it, but have a go. Have a little look behind me and see if you can. If not, find a Bible and read it from there. So we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 to 10, and it says this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness or endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia, in Acacia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath, which is another word for anger, to come. So last week, Sai set the scene didn't he, for the Thessalonian series. He talked about Thessalonica and he introduced the church there to us. And his encouragement to us was to not be distracted or surprised by hardship, suffering or persecution, but to keep focused on the return of Christ. And that is a theme that I'm going to be carrying on into this week. You know, Paul, after his initial greeting, like a little greeting at the beginning, he then goes on to give this really incredible thanksgiving report. 
for the church. He thanks the Lord for the believers in Thessalonica, despite them being in the throes of considerable persecution, which we'll read more about as we go through the book in chapters 2 and chapters 3. Paul praises them as they continue to labour for the Lord, and he goes on to praise them for their outworking of the Christian life, the outworking of faith, love, and hope. And these three words are so closely linked, aren't they, with Christian duty and service, and they are directly related to the good news of Jesus. He thanks the Lord constantly and remembers them before the Lord for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness or endurance in hope. You know, Paul isn't just commending one or two believers here, is he? He says, I thank God for all of you. He recognizes the unity of faith, hope, and love, which characterize the membership of the church. You know, Calvin said of these verses, he was a reformer a very long, long time ago, and he said of these verses, instead of verse 3, that these spiritual gifts that were shown and were adorned the Thessalonian church are a brief description of true Christianity. So our challenge to us today is if we are showing true Christianity, we will be displaying these gifts in our church as well. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, who wrote this book together, are well aware that their steadfastness or endurance as a church is because of hope. The believers hold on to hope as they eagerly await the final glory, which will be theirs at the coming of Christ. You know, Paul uses the word hope quite a lot in his writings, and he's not referring to like, oh, I really hope my baby sleeps through the night, which, by the way, is not going to happen. It's actually, it's not a wishfulness. It's it's about a less than secure tomorrow. But his version of hope is an absolute certainty. His hope rested secure in the risen Lord Jesus. So if you have a Bible on you, we're going to read something, another part where Paul talks about hope. We're going to turn to Titus, which is a couple of books on from where you are now in 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to look at Titus 2, verse 11 to 14. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce or say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, which is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who was zealous for good works. You know, we live for Christ as we wait for his return. Jesus has redeemed us. He set us aside as a people who are zealous for good works. The outworking of the Thessalonian believers' faith was that they turned from idols, we're told in verse 9 to 10, and they're waiting for Christ, not doing nothing. They're waiting and serving Jesus as the one true God. You know, they were serving with faith. They were enduring by hope, and it was all because of love. 
All of my points today that I'm going to make are actually challenges. I'm afraid sabbatical hasn't changed me that much. I'm still really annoying, sorry. So I've got some challenges that I wanted us to think about genuinely this morning. Um, you know, I really believe, and I think it's a theme that God's talking to us about as a church, that there is a great challenge on believers, particularly in the Western church, to be aware that if you are walking with Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, remember a disciple of Jesus isn't just someone who believes in Jesus, it's someone who believes in Jesus and follows what he says. That's what makes you a disciple of Jesus, you follow him. That if we really live like that in our society, we are going to be so different than everybody else around us. If you are hoping that you can be a Christian and just merge in, it's not a hope that's going to come about. That isn't a sure hope. If you believe in Jesus and you are a disciple of Jesus and you follow him, you are going to be very different than everybody else. And it is time for the church to take seriously our call to walk with Jesus and to not dabble in the middle ground of not wanting to upset or offend anyone because actually what is happening is that's making whole swathes of the church ineffective in reaching our world, that are crying out for people who know where they are going, who know their purpose in life. So my first challenge is this. How will you be remembered? Really relevant with the Queen dying, but how will you be remembered? What drives you? What causes you to labor? Is love joy in the Holy Spirit and passion for Christ, the well from which you draw your energy, drive, and, see, and zeal. You know, I didn't know Rob was going to bring that word. If you were at the prayer meeting on Friday, basically my sermon is everything that was said at the prayer meeting on Friday. I, honestly, I wrote it before it. I did. And um, actually, you can probably have a little, little sneeze now because I'm going to say about the same thing. But actually, have you forgotten what this life is all about? Our life here is temporary. We are called to be God's people. Your purpose in life, if you are a believer, is to glorify God in how you live and to bring others to know and to love Jesus. This is our temporary home. Don't forget, this is our temporary home. We are living for eternity. Does it petrify you that people around you don't know and love Jesus. If it doesn't, it should. It should worry you that your neighbor doesn't know and love Jesus. And it should be the drive of your life for them to have the same peace that we have of knowing that our sure and certain hope is that Jesus is coming again and he is going to judge the whole world. There will not be a single person who will escape the judgment of Jesus. Actually, that can bring you peace if people have really wronged you. They're not going to get away with it, even if they've got away with it here on earth. Jesus is going to judge every single person, and we are included in that judgment that will come. But as believers and followers of Jesus, we're going to be saved because we're going to find shelter in Jesus. But everything we've done is going to be tested. And it's actually going to be tested by fire, we're told. All of our labors and works will be tested. Let's read from 1 Corinthians so you don't just think it's me just pouring stuff off, off the back of having a thing of we need more volunteers. Let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 3 and read together. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Acts and Romans follow on, 1 and 2 Corinthians, if you're new to reading the Bible, rhymes are the way forward for remembering the Bible. I grew up in a Baptist church, you see. We had rhymes all the way through. That's why I know where things are. So here you go, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 13 says this. Now, if, uh, I'll start from 12, actually. Now, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, that, that's Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Other than just having eternity with Jesus, you will also receive a reward. Incredible, isn't it? But if anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. You're not going to lose your salvation, that's telling you, but only as through fire. It's a real challenge, isn't it? So I'm going to ask you, what is going to survive in your life? Your house won't, your car won't, your driveway won't. That you can be sure of. But what else is going to survive? What will survive in your life? What works and labours that you do cause others to thank Jesus for you? Because they're likely to be the things that will survive, aren't they? Does love drive you? Or have you completely forgotten in this crazy post-COVID, everybody's gone a bit mad, to be honest, war and turmoil, there's economic worries, we're no energy, we're all going to have to get electric blankets, 2p a night, 2p a night. I looked it up, 2p a night to run an electric blanket, we're all going to be fine. We're in the south and we can have an electric blanket if all else fails. I can give you 2p a night if you need it. We're going to be all right. Have you forgotten, though, about the wonder of your salvation? God himself died for you. And he saved you, not because of duty, but because of love. Your faith is based on love. God saved you for good works because he loves you. He, didn't, he doesn't actually need you to do anything. He's the creator God who made the whole world. He doesn't need you to do anything, but actually... He saved you because he loves you. He's given you good works to do because it's good for you. God can do what he wants whenever he wants to. But out of love, Jesus endured the cross. He counted it as nothing because of the joy of salvation. That's your salvation and my salvation. That's why Jesus hung on that cross and died an excruciating death. Is because of the joy of you being saved. That's what pushed him through the cross. And because he looked forward and he saw his beautiful bride that would be made up of every people and tribe across the whole world. Not everyone in England is going, in heaven is going to be white. Have you realized that? It's going to be people from all over the world. It's going to be amazing. No one's, you know, I think how we understand people, will I suddenly go from speaking English very badly to being able to speak like 50, 60, 70 languages? That would be so exciting, wouldn't it? If you could just go up to people and be like, oh, what language do you speak? Well, of course, I can do that. No trouble. It's exciting to think about that that's what it would be like. But it's because of love that Jesus went through that. 
You know, we are a people who are saved by grace. We're full of faith. We're working for his kingdom, not because of duty, but because of love and because of hope. Let's read verses 4 to 5 to encourage you some more in the 1 Thessalonians passage. It says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has accidentally found you. Know that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in words, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You are chosen by Jesus. It is not an accident that you are saved. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, it's not an accident that you are here in this building hearing about a God that loves you, that came to earth to die for you. You are chosen by God. It's an amazing truth. You know, the good news of Jesus, it might have come to you by a human person speaking, but actually, you were brought, when you were brought to faith, what those people said needed to be convert, confirmed with divine power. You needed that to bring you to repentance. You needed the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart to the wonder of Christ. That mystery that we're told was hidden for ages, but has been revealed to you Jesus has rescued you from your wrongdoing, and he has turned you away from worshipping idols. Don't be deceived into thinking because we don't have little idols everywhere, like in some places in in Europe where you go, and there's idols on all the corners where you might die on the road, which makes you feel a bit anxious. Um, Don't think here because we don't do that, we don't have idols. We do. And Jesus has turned you around from serving things that are not God to serving him. Jesus brought you with a price, and the price was his own life. God the Father has brought your freedom from sin and death with his own son's blood. And why did he do this? Did he do it to make mindless slaves who work for him out of fear that we might lose our salvation or that I'm just not good enough and I need to appease him or out of hope that we might calm his anger He didn't save us to be a people who are guilt-driven in what we do or desperately trying to earn his affection. That's particularly something you have to fight if you had a father or a mother that you had to always earn their affection. That's not why Jesus did it. He did it and saved you because he loves you as his created being. He loves you. You are not a mistake. He loves you. That's why he sent his son. You know, when I read those verses from 1 Corinthians, I wasn't reading it to scare you into serving Jesus. Actually, I'm challenging us to not get distracted. Don't be distracted in your life. You need to have the plumb line of our life, of a life worth remembering, not as what our culture holds up as a life worth remembering, But what God, our Heavenly Father, says is a successful life, a life of precious gold and jewels that are going to last for all of eternity. You know, the motive of your heart is so important to Jesus. God wants us to be a people who are driven by our love and our hope in Jesus. We should be known as a people motivated by love. Because actually, that's what made God come to earth to save you 
is because he loves you. The Thessalonians had really understood this wonderful truth, and it had driven their life from the point they were saved. You know, don't let the craziness of our world, the harshness, the mess, the evil, the sadness, the skepticism, we're so skeptical, aren't we, in our culture? We're so critical, always looking for fault all of the time. Don't let it drive the faith, love, and hope out of your life. Look to Jesus, who we're told in Hebrews 12 is the perfecter of our faith. You know, Christ, don't we want to hear that other believers are thanking God for us as they see the corporate outworking of our faith, our works of faith, our labors of love, and our endurance in hope? In faith, love, and hope, we're called to display Christ to the world around us, a world that is actually crying out for the freedom of true love and forgiveness and the knowledge of a God who has saved them because he loves them. That's how we want to be remembered, isn't it? That's how I want to be remembered when I die. I want to be remembered as a person that loved people into the kingdom. And that leads me to my second point, which is verses 6 and 7. It says this, it says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but that's how we're going to call it today. So my question and challenge on that part is, who do you imitate? And should others be imitating you? You know, it's a well-known fact that children uh, imitate their parents. Research actually shows that a huge swathe of what children learn is from imitating their parents. The way you respond to people, your anger responses, are learned by imitating your parents. It's really frightening. I have to be really careful what I say because my parents are in the church and my in-laws listen when I preach. I'm so sorry already. Um, I know teenagers, you particularly won't want to hear this, but actually you imitate your parents. If people didn't know who your parents were and they were in a room and they met your parents and then they just wandered off and had a little chat with you, they would know that that person you're trying to look like you are not related to is your father or mother. They will know it. And they know it because we share our parents' idiosyncrasies. I spill food down myself when I'm enjoying eating it. My mother spills food down herself when she's enjoying eating it. I've, I've gone on one stage, I put a tea towel in now when I'm eating my food, because I just know it's just going to go all the way down me. Because um, my mum still tries to be dignified about it, I've given up. You know, our children are exactly the same. I promised my children I wouldn't embarrass them too much, so I've chosen the least embarrassing traits they have that imitate them. Um, it's quite worrying, actually, as parents, when you watch your children and think, oh dear, what have we done to them? One of our children has the most beautiful, tidy room, is super organized, so tidy. That is me. That is me. That is completely me. Completely OCD, retentive. Love it. Um, one of our children hoards everything, little pieces of paper, scissors, little tiny empty bottles. It's disgusting. I can't bear it. And they sleep, I'm trying to be gender neutral, they sleep like just like a little mole in a bed surrounded by all their stuff. That's how they sleep. That is Simon. So it's Simon. In our bedroom, you will know whose side of the bed it is. My side of the bed is like really organized books, 
just nice with a basket underneath, little, you know, something pretty on there. And then size on the bed is an explosion of paper, wires, so many wires, loads of books, books half open, half closed. It, it causes me great distress. What I've actually done is made baskets. I just put things in baskets and then put them on the sides. So that child is very like their father. One of my children is actually called Little Ken, who is my dad, is called Ken. And if you know my dad and you know our children, you know which child I'm talking about. And you need to pray for grace for us so much because we're going to need it, parenting that child. Um, and one of our children is so stubborn and obsessive. It's so worrying um, the way they are like that. And in honesty, that is a terrifying combination of both Simon and I. So joking aside, who do you imitate? You know, if people spent time with you, would they think, oh, this person is really like Jesus? Do you know, they might not even know who Jesus is, but they recognize that they imitate a very different person or way of life than them. You know, it works the other way around as well. We can have people who we look at and we just pray, Lord, I want to be like them because they reflect Jesus so beautifully. When you spend time with them, they bring joy to your soul and you just feel well after being with them. In verse 6 and 7, Paul's just reminding the Thessalonian church of how even in suffering, Paul had imitated Christ to them so much, in fact, that they'd received the gospel and teaching from him. And despite hardships and persecution for those who chose to come to faith, he still had the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know, a little aside here, it came up at the prayer meeting on Friday, so it's clearly something that God is saying to us, is that if you're finding that joy is elusive in your life, that may actually be because you've stopped serving and following and imitating Christ out of love, and you've fallen into legalism, skepticism, criticalness, bitterness. These verses tell us that when we receive the word of God, we also receive the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is God. He pours joy into your soul, and it bubbles up from that sure and certain hope and knowledge we are eternally love. You know, sometimes, and it does bring a sadness whenever it happens, when I talk to other believers, I can hear that they've lost joy along the way somewhere. They haven't meant to. It's not like a purposeful choice, but actually it's just gone. They've got really tired and weary. They haven't been refreshed and renewed by God enough. And they just lose joy. And they lose love. And then labor just becomes labor. Work just becomes work. The everydayness of life just starts breaking you a little bit more every day. Actually, that's not how we live as believers. We have the joy of the Holy Spirit. Here, um, Paul is commenting on how the Thessalonians had a work of faith, a labor of love, steadfastness of hope, and they also had the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we want to be like. You know, if you know, as I'm saying it, that's what's happened in your life. That joy of salvation has just dripped out of your life. And if you had to describe your Christian walk, it would be exhausted, tired, and a little bit fed up. And I really would like to be an individual believer, not in a church. That would really suit me well. Actually, joy is gone. 
and the Lord wants to restore it to you. Don't ignore it because it came up on Friday as well, and it's clearly something that God is talking to us about as believers. We'd love to pray with you at the end. Don't be too proud to come up and get prayed for, because I think it is fair to say for everyone who's been a believer a while, there are periods in your life where you just feel that is happening in your life, and actually um, it's happened to everyone to some degree or another. But back to the verses we were talking about. Who do you imitate? You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul wrote this book. He said in one of his other books that he wrote, which is 1 Corinthians, he says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What does that make you feel like? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do you get the cold sweat, the absolute fear, the feeling of, no, that I could not say that, the sort of conviction, because if you don't, you're unusual, I do. Everybody does get that moment of thinking, could I say that to people? You know, Paul, Silas, and Timothy clearly behaved in such a way when they were in Thessalonica in their everyday life that they proved the word that they brought. People came to faith as they looked at their life and saw that what they said was the same as how they behaved. They could see the consistency in what they were doing. Um, You know, when I was on sabbatical, I really felt God speak to me about lots of things, which I'll share with you over time. But one of the things that I felt God really do while I was on sabbatical is that God drew me back into him again and again and drew me to the truth that it's all about Jesus. It's all about our relationship with Jesus, the love I have for Jesus. Everything I do should flow from my relationship with Jesus. If I'm walking closely with Jesus, if I spend time with Jesus, if I'm in his presence, if I'm reading his words, if I'm seeking his face, if I'm being continually filled with the Holy Spirit, if I love him above all others. That's such an important one, is if we love him above all others. If the aim of my life is not riches, comfort, and success, but it's actually to please Jesus then whatever the cost that might be, I know that I will imitate Jesus. Why do I know that? Because we imitate the people we spend time with. We imitate the people who we admire. We imitate people whose life we would like to have. We imitate those we prioritize spending time with. When the priority of our life is Jesus, when we serve out of love, when we know, live, and read his word, we will imitate the one we love and the one we're spending time with. When the focus and aim of our life is to imitate Christ, to become more and more like him, to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, who's God himself living inside of you, and we will reflect Jesus. We can say to people, you know, come and follow me. Come and see what it's like on this exciting walk with Jesus. Come and see how I deal with the real highs in my life and the real lows in my life. Come and see me get it wrong. Come and see me get sin. Come and see me fail and come and see how I deal with that before Jesus and before other believers, how I confess my sins, how I make myself accountable to other people. And actually, it doesn't mean if you're saying to people, imitate me as I imitate Christ, you are going to get stuff wrong. It's actually how you deal with those things that brings people closer to Jesus. 
It's actually called discipleship. That's what I've just described. That's discipleship. And as a church here, we are really passionate about discipleship. Not super spirituality. We don't want your life to be falling apart and you feel you've got to come on a Sunday and say, oh, I've had a wonderful week. I've spent four hours a week with the Lord. Just wonderful. When actually you've spent the whole week raging at your wife or your kids and you're absolutely furious inside. We want to help you love Jesus more. And part of that is walking together, getting it wrong, confessing our sins, learning how to live for Jesus, looking at Jesus and saying, I want to be like you. I just want to be like you. And Jesus will work on your heart, turning you more and more into his own image. We have discipleship groups here um, that meet once a month. If you're not in one, please get into a discipleship group. It's so important. It's not a condemnation group. It's a discipleship group. It's helping you follow Jesus more. So the last thing I'm going to just talk about quickly is how... The Thessalonians, when you read this, it's quite incredible, isn't it? It says, um, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. Our faith is a faith that goes forth. How we imitate Christ, how we labor in love, how we work in faith means that the gospel goes forth. Now, there's going to be a map that's going to come up behind us. I like maps. I can't read them, but I really like them. Um, I, it frustrates I no end. He's like, can you give me directions? I'm like, no, I cannot. You know when the sat-nav says, go southwest? And you're like, well, which way am I going right now? I mean, it's so unhelpful. I was with someone once who said, well, we're going this way because the sun is there. And I was like, what? I was like, did you grow up in a war zone? And they were like, no. And I was like, okay, there's something not quite right. We probably should talk about that later. But... This is the map. So I do know this bit because I really made myself learn it. Can you see Thessalonica right at the top in the yellow bit? Can you all see it? Yeah. So you can see Macedonia and you can see Acacia, which that's probably not how you say it. But look, look how massive that area is. It's huge. No cars, no planes. Donkeys, horses, feet. That's it. Donkeys, horses, feet. And that's the only way they would have got the gospel through. It's incredible. But not only that, but everywhere. That's how the Thessalonian church were known. They'd understood the Great Commission. Go and make disciples who make disciples. There wasn't one person who walked all of that. There was a whole group of people who'd understood to be disciples that make disciples. We are a church who really know that God has called each person here who knows and loves Jesus to be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples. The Thessalonian church had understood it. They'd got it. They'd got it. And why had they got it? Because we read in verse 10. Let's read it together. It says that they had turned from idols and they were waiting for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. They'd understood that Jesus is coming back. And while we are here, we work hard to bring about Jesus' mission on the earth. We work to see our friends, our family, our town, our county, our country, and the nations turn to God and be delivered from the righteous anger and punishment we deserve. 
If we live a life turned away from God, we will live an eternity without him because we didn't want him in our life. It's cause and effect. But actually, because of God's great love for us, he stepped down and he turned your life around. He caused you to live for Jesus, to know the deep love that our creator God has for each person he's made. If you don't know Jesus today, if you're here thinking, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? You are here because the almighty creator God made you, he loves you, he has a plan for your life, and he sent Jesus to die for you so that his anger at the things you've done could be turned aside. If you want to talk to me more about that later, then I'd love to talk to you about it. Come and find me at the end when we've finished, and I'd love to talk with you about what Jesus has done. Um, Friends, I don't know about you, but I am so tired of this world, aren't you? You turn the news on, and it's just awful, isn't it? More and more and more stories of poverty, persecution, selfishness, such selfishness, such evil. It's a world that has turned away from the true and living God, and it's become an unjust and unfair world that's getting worse and worse Aren't you sick of it? Aren't you sick of hearing it all the time? Doesn't your heart cry out, Jesus, come back. Come back and make everything right again. In 2 Peter 3, we're told this incredible thing that we can work to hurry the return of Jesus. It's a whole other preach and a theological debate that goes on and on and on. Um, But somehow, by you doing what Jesus has asked you to do, you can hurry the return of Jesus. If you think your life is insignificant in the everyday, it is not. When you're living for Jesus, your life has eternal consequence. When you get to heaven, don't you want to stand before Jesus and have people around you who are there because they've imitated you as you've imitated Christ? I want to see people I know in heaven. I mean, we're going to see the queen, which is exciting. But also, I want to see my neighbor there. I want to see my friend from work there. I want to see them there, and I want to know in my everyday life, in the boredom of work, in the drudgery of the school run, somehow God made my life have eternal significance. It's incredible, isn't it, that we get to live that life. I'm going to ask the band up. I've gone on for too long. I'm going to get the longest preach award again. Oh, never mind. Next time, 25 minutes next time. If we get Rob up, I just wanted to pray for us. Um, shall we stand? Sorry if you've got a number. Um, I did go on a while. Stand, if you stand. Um, we're going to sing together, but I really want to pray with at the end of the service. We're going to uh, sing and then, and then finish to honour our children's workers so they can um, escape from the children. Um, We're going to be praying for people on this side. I just want to pray for people who've lost joy. Please don't walk out of this building knowing that's you and and not getting prayed for because you're too embarrassed to say that's what happened. Don't be. It's happened to everybody who has a walk with Jesus. The thing is to catch it and turn it round, to confess our sins, to be before the Lord, ask him to fill us with his Holy Spirit again. I also feel there's people here who you just know you're distracted. You've got taken off on a tangent in your walk with Jesus and you're distracted time to bring your life back to serving Jesus. You know, the life of being a disciple of Jesus is really exciting. It is full of wonder and splendor and things that you just 
just completely blow your mind, but it's also of things that are really difficult, really painful, decisions that are hard to make. But the Lord Jesus is with us in all of it, isn't he? And we're going to stand before him, and he's going to say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want at the end of my life. That's a successful life, isn't it? So we're going to worship, and then we'd love to pray with people after the service this morning. But thank you for listening.